the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Winter to Fort. The following program is sponsored No Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. I like these words by James Merritt, a Southern Baptist author and pastor. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God in the midst of your problems. People never find peace because they're looking for it. No one ever finds peace by looking for peace. Why not? Because peace is not something you find. Peace is something that finds you after you've worshipped God. in a world of complex problems, global terrorism, racial tensions, political infighting, and personal challenges at work and home. Men, women, and children cry out for peace and safety. And today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy shares from Philippians chapter 4 how we can exchange our worry and anxiety for the peace of God. As Christians, we're not to ignore the present realities. We're called to press into God who is our peace. Let's join Philip as he continues a message on prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a wonderful word from God for days of trouble and terror. So let's look at this text. Three things. If you're taking notes, the first thing we see is panic prohibited. Panic prohibited. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Paul communicates here that anxiety is unbecoming of a Christian under any circumstances. Let me say that again. Worry, anxiety, fretting is unbecoming of a Christian under any circumstances. It's absolutely forbidden because that's unbecoming of a follower of Jesus Christ who said in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives it. Right? What is being forbidden is self-centered, faithless, counterproductive worry. That's what's being forbidden. That distracts you, that is a lack of faith, that paralyzes you, that you become ineffective. But I'll tell you what he's not forbidding, that's legitimate concern. Don't misunderstand what Paul is saying or what I'm preaching. Paul wants us to be care-free. Be anxious for nothing, not careless. Okay? God wants fathers thinking about how they provide for their family. God wants mothers who are all over those children and thinking about their health and their safety and their upbringing. God wants evangelists who think about the fact that today people are perishing without the gospel. God wants us to be concerned and care about people. 
And he wants us to do what he's called us to do, but he doesn't want us trying to do his job. Do what you need to do, but then you give it to God and you don't worry anymore. Be anxious for nothing. Secondly, we not only see panic prohibited, we see prayer promoted. Prayer promoted. Look at verse 6 again. He says, here's what I don't want you doing, but here's what I do want you doing. Be anxious for nothing, but pray. Pray, supplicate with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. The things that concern us, the things that worry us, the things that burden us, the things that are pressing in and crushing us. And as we talk to God, things get recast theologically. We start connecting God to those problems. We start getting God-sized solutions to those problems and those perspectives. We see things as God sees them. And as we turn our panic into prayer, God turns our prayer into peace. And anxiety becomes hope and fear becomes faith and doubt becomes confidence. In making our case before God, our anxieties lose their voice. That's what prayer does. When you go into the throne room of God and you really pray and you grasp who he is and you think about what he's done and you give him thanks for his faithfulness, it at least, if it doesn't take the problem away altogether, it just shrinks it down to size and you begin to go, you know what? God can take care of this. He has taken care of me. He will take care of me. And the peace of God follows. Now, we could leave that thought there, but remember, we're in a series on maximum security. We're coming to a passage like this because we're frightened and concerned about terrorism abroad and at home amidst a whole bunch of other things that kind of keep us up at night. So if prayer is important, then what can we pray for in the war against terror? I need to pray for the persecuted church. Hebrews 13.3 tells us to remember those who are in prison and certainly our brothers across the world and those who are in the wrong end of ISIS are being persecuted and butchered and murdered. I need to pray for the persecuted church. So do you. We need to pray for our civic leaders. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 3. Paul says, pray for kings and those in authority lifting up holy hands. We need to pray for our leaders that they'll know what to do and what way to do it. Here's another thing. Pray for your enemies. That's a hard thing to do. I had to learn that as a police officer in Northern Ireland. Matthew 5.44 tells me that I need to pray for those who are against me. I need to pray for them, even when they're against me. And Jesus loved his enemies, and Jesus loving me can help me love mine. But here's a thought I wanted to spend a few moments on. You can also pray against your enemies. Now, you say, Pastor, you just contradicted yourself. Well, I don't see it as a contradiction. I see it as a balance a tension between praying for them and praying against them. And this is a theme in the Bible called imprecatory prayers. To imprecate is to invoke evil upon or curse upon one's enemies. And you'll find this often in the Old Testament, a lot in the Psalms, in the lament against the evil. David prays against his enemies. Now, what you're going to hear is someone say, hold on a minute, pastor. That's the Old Testament. We now live according to the ethic of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule, do unto others as you have them do unto you, love your enemies. I get that. But I would suggest to you, this isn't just an Old Testament practice. What about Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 13 following, where he pours woe 
upon the Pharisees. Woe upon woe, where he curses them, he damns them, he criticizes them. That's the same Jesus that taught us to love our enemies, to pray for them. But in this case, he's praying against them. And while we won't be there to see it in Revelation 6, verse 10, we certainly see that the tribulation saints pray to God that the blood of God's people would be avenged. Seems to me this idea of praying against your enemies is both Old Testament, gospel, and church era and beyond. I'd make that argument, but I'd always want to balance it, err on the side of grace and in love, but don't rule out. If your motive is clear, your focus is right, don't rule out praying destructive prayers against destructive powers. Time doesn't allow me to develop this, so I'll just tell you in Psalm 55, in verses 9 and 15, is the Tower of Babel, where God confuses the people with languages, and then the sons of Korah being swallowed up in death in Numbers 16, 31 to 33. And David is saying, and I think he's dealing with Absalom's treachery, Jerusalem is in upheaval. The kingdom is being threatened. This isn't a personal issue. This is national, civic, social. This is kingdom-oriented. God, you need to do what you once did. Confound them and destroy them. And I think there's a place to pray like that. In fact, December the 2nd, 2015, just up the road, 14 people are gunned down in the San Bernardino massacre, 22 people seriously injured by an Islamic terrorist attack in the name of ISIS. This is unfolding live on television. I'm watching it at home. My phone rings, and it's KKLA. It's the office of Frank Sontag, who's got a talk show in the afternoon. And he says, Philip, you were formerly in the police in Northern Ireland. You're a pastor. Would you come on the air live and just help us think this thing through? And this was all unfolding. Even when I was on the air, there was beginning to be a sense of what it might be. But by this stage, they hadn't even, you know, fully cornered or killed the terrorists, to my knowledge. And so I give some pastoral perspective, get some theological framework for people to think the site. And he said, Philip, before you leave us live on the air here, would you pray? And I was thinking about it the other day. I remembered the last couple of lines of my prayer. Here's what I prayed. Lord, I pray there will be no further loss of life except those of the gunmen better terrorists die than some innocent people going about their normal day's work. And I think that's a biblical ethic. David said in Psalm 55, I pray that bloodthirsty men won't live out half their lives. Panic prohibited. Prayer promoted. Finally, and just for a brief few moments, peace promised. Let's get back to our text. Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul informs us that peace comes in tow with believing prayer. Let your request be made known to God. Look at the conjunction. And as a result, because of this, in tow with believing prayer will come peace. The peace of God. And it'll stand guard over your hearts. You're going to enjoy a shalom, an inner and outer sense of well-being. Do mark the word guard. It's a great word. It's a Greek word. It's a military term. It means to garrison in Philippi was a Roman colony, and there was a complement of Roman soldiers. And Paul's got this beautiful image here. Guys, if you pray to God, make your request be made unto God, start to think theologically. God will marshal his peace like ranks of soldiers, and you'll leave his presence surrounded left and right, front and back, with the peace of God guarding you. It's a beautiful picture. It's a divine peace, and it's a supplying peace. 
divine in the sense it's the peace of God. It's a peace that comes from God. It's not a peace we find on our own. It's a gospel peace. It's a gift from God. We have peace with God through faith. We have the peace of God through prayer. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not positive thinking on our part, drumming it up. It's not good feelings. It's knowing God and knowing truths about God and knowing those truths to be true and acting on the behalf of them even when they're absent. Because peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God in the midst of the conflict. In fact, I like these words by James Merritt, a Southern Baptist author and pastor, He says this, Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God in the midst of your problems. The reason most people never find peace, you might say right now, that's me, pastor. I haven't found it. I'm not enjoying it. I'm not experiencing it. People never find peace because they're looking for it. No one ever finds peace by looking for peace. Why not? Because peace is not something you find. Peace is something that finds you after you've worshipped God. It's a great statement. Very helpful. Don't go looking for peace, you know. There might be some help in getting a nice bedroom routine going where you dim the lights down, you turn the TV off, you read, you bath in hot milk or something. I don't know. None of that's not helpful. But you're not going to drum up peace by some routine, by some incantation, by deep breaths and, you know, taking the lotus position. No, peace comes to the Christian after prayer, worship, and thinking theologically. And it's something that God gives you. It's not something you can find. It finds you. It's a divine peace, and it's a sublime peace. It passes all understanding. It's like God's ways in Romans eleven thirty three. past finding out. It's like God's love, Ephesians three nineteen. We can hardly comprehend its dimensions. This defies human logic. It transcends human analysis. It's a sublime peace and a divine peace. It's something that Jesus Christ gives to us and promises to us. Listen to what he says in two verses, John 14, verse 27. He's in the upper room. He's leaving his disciples. He says to them, let not your heart be troubled. They're pretty anxious about what they're hearing. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. This isn't the peace you'll find in a psychologist's office, or it's not a peace that will come when a doctor gives you a certain prescription. This isn't a peace the world gives. This is a peace that prayer opens the door to. It's a peace that God gives in relationship to Jesus Christ. Faith brings us peace with God. Prayer brings us the peace of God. Peace with God, that's fixed. That's justification. It's imputed. It's alien. It's fixed. It doesn't change. But the peace of God is conditional. We can lose it. It can come. It can go, depending on if our mind is stayed on God, depending upon if we're praying, believing the words of His Word, and thinking about the right things. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a peace that the world can't give you. In John 16, verse 33, what else do we read? These things I have spoken to you that you may have peace in the world. You'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The yardsticks of philosophy cannot measure it. The analysis of psychology cannot explain it. And nothing in the world can achieve it. This is a gospel gift. And it's ours. And it's inexplicable. 
And if you meet the right Christian at the right time, you'll find this inexplicable peace when they're standing around an open grave, brokenhearted but at peace in the gospel. You'll find it when young men march onto the battlefield in the sands of the desert of the Middle East and in their pocket is a Bible and in their heart is faith in Jesus Christ and they can go and face the enemy in all the trials with a peace that passes all understanding. You'll find it in the hospital ward and in the battlefield. You'll find it in the thick of life and in the trenches of everyday experience. And you'll witness it with breathless wonder because it is a peace that passes logic, human reason, because it's not natural. It's supernatural. Let me finish with this, 1871. Let's go back a bit. Horatio Spafford, he's a businessman in Chicago. He's actually quite a successful lawyer. He's doing well for himself. Got a wonderful wife, a Norwegian wife by the name of Anna, and four beautiful little girls. A couple of years later, he, along with Chicago, deals with the fire. The city is kind of burned to a crisp at its center. And the Spaffords spend a lot of their energy helping the poor and the homeless. By 1873, they're exhausted, spent. So they decide to go on a vacation. They've got the wherewithal to do it. And so at the last minute, because of a business complication, Horatio Spafford stays and sends his wife and four girls on a luxury liner across to Europe. He'll join them just in a few days. But tragedy strikes. Mid-Atlantic, that luxury liner is hit by another ship in the middle of the night, and it goes down quickly within minutes. Mrs. Spafford is saved, but the girls are lost. The four little girls go down with the ship. She gets to Paris. She telegraphs her husband, Two words, saved alone. Brokenhearted, he takes the next boat to Paris to meet his wife, comforter. Somewhere mid-Atlantic, he's told by the captain, they're roughly in the area where the ship went down. And his heart is struck by the thought his little girls lie somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. But in the middle of all of that, God gives him a peace that passes all understanding. And he finds a piece of paper he had taken from the hotel. He was staying in the night before. And he begins to write these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, and trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. A couple of years ago when I was in Jerusalem, I learned something I didn't know. The other part of the story is that, sadly, the Spaffords face friends and that God would punish them so severely. Is there sin they're hiding. Broken, mistreated, misunderstood, they move to Jerusalem. They connect with some Swedes. They start a little commune, almost the first kibbutz in Israel. And they raise chickens, they farm, the ladies sell bakery, the men work on leather, they become friends to Jew and Arab alike. And today, if you're in Jerusalem, you must go to the American Colony Hotel. We did. 
And one afternoon, with Easy and Mark and Ray Comfort, we were looking around, and if you take a nice cup of tea in the courtyard, you can imagine that you're sitting where Churchill once sat, where Lawrence of Arabia once sat, where Mikhail Gorbachev once sat, where Robert De Niro, uh, Richard Gere, famous people have sat in that courtyard. But the kind of highlight was, when you go through this little hotel, which used to be where the Spaffords in this community of Christians lived, you'll find a little glass case and in it, the original piece of paper upon which he wrote those words. You'll see the hotel name and you'll see those words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know it as well, it is well with my soul. It is scary days, isn't it? Serious times. But we can get on our knees and knees don't knock when you're praying on them. And if we pray right and we think theologically and we believe the gospel, that we have peace with God through Jesus and we can have the peace of God through the Spirit, we can leave and re-enter a world that seems to be collapsing in so many directions and be able to live it with what one writer calls a defiant nevertheless. That's what Christian joy is, a defiant nevertheless. It is well with my soul. And that is something you and I can hold on to when everything else is being lost, threatened, or collapsing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage of your word, so encouraging. It's a word in season to the weary. We pray that we may hide it in our hearts, that we may not sin against you, because worry is sin. Illegitimate worry is sin. Lord, help us to deal with that sin, especially in the day of terror. Help us not to worry. Help us to be concerned. May our government be the concern for the health and safety of our nation and the well-being of our allies. May they be concerned for the persecution that's being inflicted upon Christians all across the world. But we're going to be concerned without being worried in a wrong sense because you've given us a peace that passes all understanding, rooted in what we know about Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he's doing, and what he's yet to do. And these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth in a message from Philip DeCourcy called Get on Your Knees. It's from our current series titled Maximum Security. Listen to this message again when you visit ktt.org. And on our website, you'll find many other excellent resources to bolster your faith and confidence in God. We're grateful we can bring Know the Truth to you every day on the radio and the web and even on our KTT app and podcast. And every time you tune in, you're benefiting from the support of generous listeners who value the ministry of Know the Truth. Perhaps today, you'll join our growing family of supporters by becoming a Truth Ambassador. Truth Ambassadors make regular monthly donations, helping us to create and produce and distribute these quality Bible teaching programs. Become a Truth Ambassador today when you call 888-644-8811. Or sign up when you visit our website at ktt.org. And whether you join our team of Truth Ambassadors or give a generous one-time gift, we'll say thanks by sending you Philip DeCourcy's newest book titled, Take Cover. It's just coming off the press now, and you'll be one of the first to receive it. 
Based on the Maximum Security series you're hearing all this month, Take Cover offers a biblical guide for finding our peace in God's protection. Ask for your copy when you call 888-644-8811 or request a book when you donate online at ktt.org. Also, this month, you'll want to call in to get another new resource available to all our newest Know the Truth listeners. It's the free Take Cover bookmark that lists some of the key principles Philip shares in his new book. Keep it handy to take cover in moments of crisis. Ask for the free bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. That's all the time we have today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again next week when Philip DeCourcy continues his series, Maximum Security. That's coming up Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Townhall.com. The Supreme Court in the UK recently decided unanimously in favor of a bakery in Belfast where they declined to make a cake celebrating same-sex marriage. You may think it sounds similar to the case of Jack Phillips here in our country. That's because it is. Here at home, of course, Jack won at our high court by a 7-2 margin in the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision, defended by the good folks at ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Jack's story, the story of the U.K., the story of Baron L. Stutzman, the floors up in Washington State, all are just examples of how widespread these free speech and free exercise of religion issues are today. The courts, at least for the foreseeable future, are the first and last line of defense for what our founders called the first freedom. The good folks need to stay fully engaged in the fight. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Do you want your daily work to make three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.